We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to the We Saved You a Seat podcast. Before I introduce our guest today, I would like for everyone to know some behind-the-scenes tidbits. Hosting a podcast through Oklahoma Family Network was essentially her idea. And now that we finally get to have her on as a guest, I think you'll gain some insight as to why sharing your story or journey with others is so important and ultimately why parent-to-parent support can be so critical to others. Your story, experience, conversation can ultimately encourage another family or even influence how agencies approach partnering with parents and other organizations. And now I'd like to introduce Heather Pike to you. The journey to where she is now started 23 years ago when her son, Layton, was diagnosed with meningitis. 23 years ago, friends and family brought her hope in the midst of hard circumstances, and she now shares that hope with others who face similar journeys. Thank you for joining Heather and I today as we bring awareness and conversation about meningitis from one family's experience. Today, I know that we were going to talk about um, meningitis awareness day. And I know that that's something that I, I have very little experience with. Um, my one experience is when Lena was about eight weeks old, um, maybe 10 weeks old. Uh, she'd just been discharged from the NICU. And then we had to take her back to the hospital. And when we took her back to the hospital, they did a spinal tap and told us at that time that they thought she had meningitis from a UTI. And so we went through a a week's worth of hospitalization at that point. And of course we gowned and everything. And I think about 48 hours later, we got the test results, which it it was negative so that she did not have meningitis. But that's my only experience with meningitis. I mean, it's something scary that a parent hears. And from what I understand, you actually have a very personal story. And I guess I should say he's, he is now 21. Is he 21? He's four. Like we've just skipped, we've just skipped these last two years and then they didn't <laughs> exist somehow and they continue to age and grow. Yeah. Um, so he's 24. And um, before we kind of tell his story, I want to make sure that this is something he knows that that is something you share. You, you have a job that's tied to this. Um, but I guess I kind of want to know that, you know, he, he has given us permission to have this conversation about his experiences. Is that right? Yeah. He, he's, he's fine with it. He's, such an easygoing kid. I just said, Hey, I'm going to share your, a little bit of your story with Tamara tomorrow. He goes, okay. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. He's so great. Um, as we begin, I thought maybe you could just kind of tell us a little bit, take us back when you kind of heard some news. Well, how about you introduce yourself, introduce your family, and then tell us about 23 years ago. Thanks for having me, Tamara. I am Heather Pike, the associate director for the Oklahoma Family Network. And Really what led me down this journey and on this path um, is our son, Leighton, who is now 24 years old. My husband, Rod, and I have been married for almost 30 years. Uh, We have a daughter, Zoe, who's 28, and a grandson who will be two this summer, and a son-in-law. And we're all right here local in Edmond, so we get to see them often and do lots of things with them and help them out, you know, when we can and when they ask, (laughs) which is often which we love. Um, and Leighton loves being an uncle too. So, so jumping back 23 years ago, our lives just kind of got put on hold and felt like we ran into a brick wall. He, we found out that he had contracted bacterial meningitis. Um, it was a strep pneumococcal strain, which, you know, now there's a vaccine for. We don't know how. Um, we don't know why. We don't know where he would have contracted that. But at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he um, ended up spending some time in the PICU on a ventilator and was transported from one hospital that we were admitted to, to Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City. And it was a really chaotic situation. I'll, I'll never 
ever forget that just the emotions and the fears and the unknown. And um, when they transported him, he was really, really sick. I mean, and to the level that he needed to be at a higher level pick you, he needed to be placed on a ventilator. He was, you know, losing the ability to breathe on his own and having seizures and all kinds of, you know, just medical um, trauma from the meningitis and the swelling that was going on his, in his meninges around his brain, um, which we didn't know all this at the time. We just knew he was really, really sick. I mean, I didn't even know what meningitis really was until, you know, we had to learn about it and experience it for ourselves. So we ended up at Children's in the PICU and they pulled us aside and, you know, told us that he had had a stroke and transport, they thought, and that you know, they didn't know if he was going to survive the night, that we probably needed to call our family in, that things just didn't really look very, very good for him um, for an outcome. So we had, um, you know, this was 23 years ago. So it was before everybody just had a cell phone in their pocket, you know, or a smartphone just to click on someone's name to dial them or text them. So, you know, we're using phones in the waiting room and, um, you know, just so antiquated when you look back at it trying to get a hold of family um, to come down. And our, our entire family ended up coming. I mean, mom, dad, grandparents, Mimi's, pops, <laughs> aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, you name it, everybody um, came to our side, um, church, friends, and family, because we just didn't know if he was going to live. And it just so happened, too, that someone that um, we had gone to church with for several years, they had a daughter who had contracted meningitis twice throughout the course of her life. And they had some scary moments um, and some secondary things that had happened because of it. And, um, you know, they, they reached out to us, which was huge. I mean, I didn't even know what parent to parent or family to family support was at the time, but just that natural um, connection with another family was really big for us to be able to kind of they could relate with what kind of we were going through. And then another um, friend at church had lost a son, um, not from meningitis, but from another illness. And, you know, she kind of came to our side that evening too, and was just walking through, you know, through it with us and letting us know if something did happen, she survived and it was going to be okay. Um, so those, those moments were, I'm going to cry. <laughs> those moments were um, something we'll never I forget just the support of that. So skipping forward a few days, um, we did finally get him weaned off of the um, ventilator and he got to go just to regular Pete's floor, but he was a completely different child than what we had taken, you know, into the hospital. He was almost walking, you know, he had just developmentally, he was just age appropriate on everything. Um, it was right before he turned one um, that he contracted the meningitis. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Never forget that because um, that just brought a whole nother level of chaos, you know, with it being a holiday. Um, but we did end up getting to take him home, um, but we brought home a completely different baby. I mean, he 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 was such a chunky monkey. Like I had chunky babies. Um, and he, he weighed like 28 pounds. And how he didn't lose a pound the, time, the whole time he was sick, I do not know. But he still kept his chunkiness, which I think probably kind of benefited him, you know, during his stay. Just he was a chunky, healthy baby, you know, that um, survived this. Um, so we, we brought him home and we had to learn how to do an NG tube because he had lost his sex swallow. Um, he couldn't hold his head up. He couldn't set up. I mean, he really just went back to being a 28-pound newborn, if you will. And we learned about things that we didn't even know existed in our state, like Sooner Start. I didn't know what Sooner Start was. I didn't know what early intervention was. I had no experience with, you know, really special healthcare needs or disabilities in any way. Um, so this was a whole new world um, for, for our entire family. We also, when we brought him home, you know, we had some nursing come in to make sure we were doing the NG tube right, things like that. So our door was kind of a revolving door, you know, once we got here and my grandmother, bless her heart, she came and stayed with us and my house was always clean. My laundry was always done. <laughs> our daughter Zoe was always, you know, taken care of and made to feel like she was, you know, still a an important um, family member and 
you know, people were focusing their attention on her while we were kind of focusing our attention on Leighton during that time. But when Soonerstadt came in, we immediately, you know, kind of got services going and started with occupational therapy, physical therapy. Um, at about 15 months of age, they recommended about three months post illness, they recommended that we had his vision and his hearing tested. So we did, and we had his vision tested. His vision is really fine. He has some peripheral vision issues, but nothing that needs corrected or anything like that. But we did find out with the hearing test that he was profoundly deaf. And um, that was kind of a shocker, but it kind of wasn't. My husband's a drummer, so he was constantly like <laughs> testing his hearing at home and, um, you know, banging on stuff. And, um, you know, Leighton wasn't very responsive a lot of times. So although that was kind of devastating at the end of the day, it was like, you know what? we don't care. Like we have our baby, he's alive. Like we'll take whatever diagnosis come with that. Like we'll just, you know, we're just thankful that he's here. So the hearing loss, although it was hard, you know, at the time to swallow and kind of thinking about what his future was going to be like. Um, at the end of the day, we were just grateful for his little life and that God saved him and knew he had a purpose. It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're facing, you know, as far as um, what we need to deal with in the future. My baby's here. We get to keep him. We had gone through some very tra traumatic experiences in the hospital, um, but he's here. And so we can face whatever we have to, to face at this point. Did they explain to you at the hospital about some of those things that might, that you might be exposed to later, I guess, some of those diagnoses as far as, um, and did they initially tie all of that information to the meningitis and say, hey, these are the things that you're about to face. Can you walk us through a little bit about some of those conversations? Yeah, I can. So, so actually right before we were discharged from the hospital and kind of really all throughout the, you know, hospital stay, you know, we were told this might be a secondary, just a, a secondary effect of the meningitis um, or, you know, contributed to the medication or the antibiotics that he had to take, um, which is really what I think the hearing loss has contributed to. Um, so, so we kind of knew, you know, to look out for a few things. And, you know, someone explained to us really kind of what Sooner Start was. Social work at the hospital did a nice job of that. I will say one thing that stuck out in my mind, though. They, the hospital, with all good intentions, um, we were on the peds floor getting ready to be discharged in the next day or so. I don't remember the exact timeline, but there was someone that worked at the hospital that her little boy, I believe it was a little boy, had also contracted meningitis. And um, the outcome wasn't super great. I mean, he was, I think he ended up losing his vision and his hearing and just developmentally just never really, you know, got to where Leighton is obviously today. Um, and she came into the room with all the best intentions, you know, sharing her story with us, but it wasn't, there was no hope in that for me. I was just like, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't want, yeah, my baby's here, but I don't, I want him to, to be able to recover from this and be, you know, be able to walk and talk and, you know, you know, just have a, a quality of life. And so that was kind of hurtful for me just to hear her story and just, and she was kind of woe is me about it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't hopeful. So, and that, that's one thing that really drives me to whenever I get an opportunity to talk to families. I, yeah, there's some negative things, but I want it to be hopeful. I want them to look at the, the good things from it. So that, that was kind of hard to digest, you know, right before you go home, but we were given a heads up about some things. Um, especially with the vision loss and hearing loss. Um, and fortunately, the hearing loss is all that we really had to deal with. Besides just the, the other diagnosis that kind of came along after that. Um, so a seizure disorder, a cognitive disability, um, you know, just some, some things that kind of didn't hit us all at once, but was a kind of a progression of, okay, so now we've got this to deal with. Okay, so now we have this to deal with. So um, I think God knew not to throw all of it you know, at us at one time, because <laughs> it was already a little overwhelming, but the hearing loss we knew fairly quickly. A lot of what 
what you and I do um, has to do with transition. You know, we, we transition, our, we're constantly transitioning, whether it be home from the NICU, we're transitioning home, you know, going to school for the first time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those transitions and maybe talk to us a little bit about some of your Sooner Start experience. How did you, you were taught, you were told in the hospital about Sooner Start and then they came to you and then were they the ones that kind of introduced you to tell you that there may be some other additional delays as a result of that? Or, or did you know all about this from your own personal research? Obviously Google, um, was Google your friend back then? Cause I know we talk a lot of these days about Google being our friend. <laughs> I didn't, I don't even know if Google existed then. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how old I'm Google not sure is. it did 23 years ago that we would have uh, identified Dr. Yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, you know, I've said no, no smartphones, really no cell phones available at that point in time. Um, we did have an old antiquated desktop computer, <laughs> one of those huge ones, but I don't even know if we had internet service or anything. I mean, that that wasn't an option really for us to kind of Google um, the information we received about the meningitis and, you know, some of the secondary things that it can cause or the medication can cause was really just education from, you know, our pediatrician, which is a wonderful, lovely man who, um, you know, really played a big role in that diagnosis and preparing us for that. And making sure that, you know, we kind of knew what the bumps in the road ahead might be. And then, you know, our early intervention um, team was Sooner Start. Um, really, by the time they came into the home, though we had passed that scary part of the meningitis and we're in that recovery part. So the focus really went on to his developmental, um, you know, just occupational therapy, regaining those skills to you know, suck, swallow, um, so he could start eating again. And um, with the stroke, he had, you know, some definite weakness on the right side of his body. He's very left-handed. Um, and I think, I think he probably would have been right. I mean, he kind of preferred doing things on his right with his right hand and stuff before the illness. And so I think that stroke definitely contributed to him being a lefty and, you know, his just had tongue weakness and, and really, it was really all from the illness and, um, you know, being intubated for, you know, an extended period of time. And so Sooner Start really helped with a lot of those kinds of things. Once we got to a certain point, we didn't really look back a whole lot. I mean, you always question if I'd done, I think as a mom, especially, like, could I have done something different or did I do something to cause this or, you know, was he around somebody? I mean, no one else. I, I, we don't even, we don't know. We don't know what happened. Um, I love it when things come full circle though. We were eating out last Thursday night. There's a, a restaurant that Leighton loves to go to. They have trivia night on Thursday nights. And not that Leighton knows any of the answers. He just is social and likes being in that environment and loves to go eat cheese fries <laughs> and have his Dr. Pepper. And socially, he doesn't, get to do a whole, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of opportunities to do things socially. So we really try to instigate that and make sure that, you know, I don't know, maybe he's spoiled, but <laughs> we just like to give him those opportunities that make his heart happy. And so we were eating dinner last Thursday night and I looked across um, behind my husband setting was a guy that looked like the doctor that was in the ICU at the time that he was sick in the PICU. And I was like, Rod, don't turn around and look now, but I think that that's Dr. So-and-so. And he like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So he like casually got up, went to the bathroom and looked, came back, sat down. He goes, yeah, I think that's him. So before we left the restaurant that night, um, Rod went up to him and introduced himself and um, said, you know, you, you had a big part in saving our son's life almost 23 years ago. And he was like, oh my gosh, you know, and just was like, I can't believe, you know, he's like, my apologies if I don't remember exactly who you are, but you know, that was 23 years ago. Um, so we ended up picking up their tab and <laughs> heading out the door, but it was so cool just to see somebody that had really played a huge role in, in saving his life. And now 23 years later, you know, we just see him out in the community and 
um, that blessing of just being able to thank someone. Oh, wow. That, that is really neat to, that you would recognize him 23 years later and, um, and his, his kindness. I, I know that your life the last 23 years has been dedicated to advocacy work, has been dedicated to parent support, all of those things. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started supporting other families? Um, obviously, you went from this parent that needed that support, and you've already shared a little bit of, of those just natural uh, conversations that happened with a family who had been there prior. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you transitioned into that? Oh, wow, I can provide that for someone else now. I think it's just for most parents, caregivers, it's just really a natural transition. You know, when you get to a point where you're like, I never want anyone to have to feel like that or have to know that, you know, this is not all bad. Um, And just giving that hope and encouragement, I think it's just a natural thing. Um, My mom is a huge encourager. So (laughs) I think that, you know, that definitely comes naturally, you know, just given the way that I grew up and um, she's just a cheerleader and has always been that way. So that progression just was a natural thing. I just like to help people. But then I started, you know, with, with Sooner Start and early intervention, um, just opportunities were just kind of laid out before me that like, hey, we need a parent to come and speak to this class, you know, of audiology students or whatever. And so I just kind of slowly started getting into sharing our story um, in hopes that it made a difference, you know, for someone else or whether that be a family or another professional, you know, then an opportunity to serve on the interagency coordinating council for Sooner Start, um, you know, after Leighton transitioned out, that was an opportunity that was laid before me. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I learned about partners in policymaking. And so I went through partners in policymaking. It was just all these little progressions and and baby steps of not only doing it for my family, but doing it for other families as well and trying to be a voice, a voice for them and make things better in Oklahoma for all families. So we all have different experiences and, and different gifts and talents and things that we can, you know, give and share. And I just want to try to do that and encourage others to do that along the way. Here we are sitting here with, as an, as you said, the associate director for Oklahoma Family Network, 23 years later. And I guess I just sit here knowing that you have touched the lives of hundreds, I mean, if not thousands of people that you have met and shared Leighton's story with and encouraged, and you definitely do it naturally. So um, you're, you're very good at being that cheerleader for other people. As we kind of talk about some of the, the grants and, and specialization areas that you actually serve in, one of those areas is your, your Eddie grant, which is something that, that you are very specific and, and have a heart for because of latent hearing loss. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that piece? So with his hearing loss diagnosis, that was a whole nother journey. Um, at that point in time, we you know, didn't really know what that was going to look like. And when you hear your child has hearing loss, you automatically think, oh, we need to learn sign language. Um, And that was a whole new new world to us. And then after talking to other families and being introduced to other professionals, you know, we discovered that, you know, there's no one else in our family with hearing loss. And we really wanted Leighton to be um, as much of a part of his community, you know, as he could be. And so we just started exploring other options and we're connected with um, um, an audiologist and a speech pathologist here locally and just, you know, talked to other families and discovered that, you know, Leighton could be a listener and a talker with the right technology. And we pursued cochlear implants at that time. Again, (laughs) 23 years ago, it wasn't nearly as common, um, but we kept pursuing it. It's something we really felt strongly about. We were discouraged by a couple of providers, um, not to go forward with the procedure or the surgical procedure. And we're actually scared by someone that said, 
you know, if we did it, there was a chance that it could cause meningitis again with the surgery. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's the last thing in the world we want to do is put our son in a situation where we could, you know, cause meningitis again, somehow by doing a surgical procedure. And then after talking to other people, we're like, you know what, the chance of that is not very high. And it's, it's worth, worth it um, for us to pursue that for him. So he fast forward now has bilateral cochlear implants and listens and talks so well. I mean, such a blessing for our family to be able to have that technology. And um, he just calls him his ears. He's very responsible with his ears. And um, that has also opened up doors um, just for more advocacy work with my role with Oklahoma Family Network. We now um, work very closely with our newborn hearing screening at the health department um, through the Early Hearing Detection Intervention Grant, just bring together other families that have that experience and families that have chosen different communication methods, whether it's ASL or total communication or auditory verbal like we chose. And the thing I love about it is it's just a non-judgmental <laughs> zone, you know, families choose what's best for themselves and their families and their child. And that's, that's what we encourage. And that, that's what we want to support them and, and just, you know, give them the resources and the information they need to make the best decision for their family and their child. So how quickly and what age was he when he got his uh, cochlear implants? The first implant um, was, took a, seemed like an eternity uh, to get approval for. And at that time, again, 23 years ago, insurance only would pay for one implant. They were still doing research to determine, you know, if two were beneficial. And I'm like, that should be a no-brainer. God gave all of us two ears. Why would two implants not be beneficial? But they were still kind of in a trial period or whatever for that. And so one ear was the option and they implanted the worst ear, which both of his ears were not, I mean, he wasn't very responsive on either one and profoundly deaf in both ears, but I guess his worst ear was his right ear. So his right ear was the one that was implanted first. And um, the process of that was very painful for us because we had a, a pretty old school audiologist at the time that um, just kept making us go back in the audiology booth and retest and retest and retest. And I still to this day don't know really what all the hesitation was for, um, but it took, a, it took a while to go through all that and get approved. And it was hard because every time you go in the booth, it's like watching your child fail at something again. Um, and we had Zoe, you know, with us too for a lot of those appointments. And so she would, she would go with us and observe and kind of a funny story. She was in, I think it was first grade, maybe kindergarten, but you know how they have the dress, dress up like what you want to be when you grow up day. And she was like, I want to go as an audiologist. I was like, oh gosh, your teacher's not even probably going to know what that is. I didn't really even know what an audiologist was. So we needed one. So she dressed up and went as an audiologist because um, she had spent so much time in audiology booths and audiology offices. That's all she knew, I guess, professionally. So, but he was right before he turned two um, that he had his first surgery. And again, they implanted his right side. We kept a hearing aid on his left side just to try to keep those, um, that stimulation of, you know, brain and things like that, because we knew eventually um, we probably would want to explore doing a second implant. And that was what was recommended was to do a hearing aid on that side to try to keep that and just give him whatever sound benefit he could get from that, which wasn't much. And then we started having some challenges with seizures and things like that, you know, kind of along the road. But I'll tell you with the first implant, the activation day, and we have this whole, you know, all these beautiful pictures and a, you know, book and all kinds of stuff about it. But the first activation or the activation day was they put his, you know, it's a little magnet that sets under the skin that they connect it to the device to. And um, the audiologist, you know, turns on all these little electrodes. And I don't know all the, you know, 
um, ins and outs of it, but it's honestly amazing to watch um, the mapping of, of the cochlear implant and all the electrodes. And they start the sound off, you know, really, really um, quiet. I mean, they don't want to overwhelm the brain or anything like that. So you really have to have a good audiologist that really knows what they're doing. Um, and we've always been blessed to have that. Um, once we finally got the older <laughs> reserved audiologist out of the way and got, got to the, you know, audiologist that was um, knowledgeable about, about cochlear implants, um, it was, it's been a true blessing. Um, but as soon as that activation occurred, it was like a light bulb. Just, it was like someone just flipped the switch for him. Um, he just developmentally started doing things that we've been working on for almost a year at that time, you know, after the illness, he's, his balance got better. He's, you know, started walking. Um, he just, it was like this whole little world, just, you know, someone turned it on for him. And at that point in time, it was, did our hearts so good because we're like, we made the right decision. There's no doubt we made the right decision for him. And then fast forward to between his second and third grade year of elementary school, he had friends that had cochlear implants that he would see at summer camp or in speech therapy or whatever. And he was advocating himself for another year because he had friends that had another cochlear implant that had two. And so he kept saying, I want another ear like so-and-so. I want another ear like so-and-so. And so we started looking into that and kind of got his seizures under control. That was kind of our reservation um, for having another, you know, surgery right away till we kind of felt like we had neurological stuff under control. So he advocated for his second year and um, was implanted between the second and third grade year of elementary school. And he still prefers that right ear. Like in the morning, that's the first one he puts on. If his battery dies in his right ear, um, then if we're out in public, he shakes his battery from his left ear, switches it to his right ear because that's, that's his preference. Um, that was the first year and he, he really, you know, leans on that a little bit more than his left. But again, it was almost like a light bulb again with, with once he got the second implant as well, just started really just progressing and, and doing better in social situations. And um, he doesn't miss much. I've heard stories, I've heard a couple of stories of families who, when they, when they activate it, that there's kind of a terrifying moment, like, because it's an overwhelming emotion to, like, it's, these are sensory, sensory things that they've never experienced. Was it like that for him? Or was it something that he just was like, oh my gosh, this is just a miracle. I love it. And I, he heard everything. It, we really had a good experience and we were prepped going into it, you know, sometimes, you know, they cry or, you know, they're startled or they don't really like it um, at first. But I think because Leighton had hearing up until the time he was sick. So he had 11 months of hearing. Now, granted, he had lots of ear infections and we were constantly in and out of the pediatrician's office and had tubes at, you know, 10 months old, um, you know, very early on. I'm sure his hearing was a little distorted because of some of that. But I, I just think as his mom that because he had almost a year of hearing that it was just like, it was something that he knew he had been missing out on. I don't know. It was just, it was interesting, yeah. but I know everyone's experience is different um, in regards to that. But that, that's a great perspective though, that variable that he did have hearing for 11 mm -hmm. months prior to um, him contracting meningitis. So, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm kind of wondering about maybe some of the accommodations that he experienced at school. And I know a lot of, you, you mentioned that he had um, some cognitive delays and some intellectual type stuff that maybe um, his peers, he was just experiencing things differently than his peers. And so I'm wondering if you might share a little bit about some of the school transition pieces and um, maybe some of those accommodations that were made for Layton in, in the school age years. So again, a whole new world of um, special education. <laughs> um, you know, now we've gone through the illness, um, we've gone through, you know, the diagnosis of hearing loss and neurology and, you know, just having all these different specialists and therapists and all this in his life. And then, you know, then at three, um, we're right before three, they start talking about transition and you're like, wait a minute, I just got used to this, <laughs> this life, this routine, these therapists and 
you know, we're making progress and now we have to transition. Um, so we transitioned from Sooner Start to the public schools and there weren't a lot of transition options. Um, at that time, there was a preschool for children with developmental delay because three years old is not really a natural transition for kids. You know, most kids have that transition from home into a school at, you know, four or five even, um, you know, and we didn't do daycare, you know, anything like that. We had church and, you know, um, whatever, but I, there's no way I could have worked uh, a full-time job or even a part-time job with all of his appointments and therapies and heaven forbid he gets sick on top of that or Zoe gets sick or, you know, whatever. I was, I was mom, um, which was another you know, thing we got adjusted to is going from two incomes to one very quickly. Um, that was that was struggle financially for our family. But yeah, that transition from Sooner Start to school was hard. And then, you know, we kind of got in there and realized that maybe this isn't the best placement for him. And we really wanted him to be around, you know, peers that, you know, didn't necessarily have a disability or a delay. We wanted him to be around peers that were going to help raise the bar for him and help him want to, you know, do more, learn more. We wanted him to be around peers that were speaking because that was our big goal for him was to be a listener and a talker. So when you throw him into a classroom where all the other children, um, you know, aren't aren't speaking or don't have the language skills that a typical three-year-old or four-year-old would have, that wasn't super helpful for what our goals were for him. So we pivoted and we um, found another option and we put him in a typical Mother's Day Out program. Um, at that time too, he was also attending a preschool um, um, when he turned four with the, the place that we were receiving all of our speech therapy services. and. Um, that was, you know, just an easier transition for us to be able to do. So when thinking about transition, know that if you make a choice, like you can change your mind too, you know, or you can advocate for something different if you don't feel like that placement's going to challenge your child or be the right environment for them. And nothing against a, you know, DD classroom or, you know, other kids with disabilities, but we just, that wasn't, that wasn't what our ultimate goal was for him to be able to reach those things that we wanted him to be successful at. So we did that for a bit. Then we transitioned back to the public school setting in first grade. That was really hard, <laughs> really hard. Um, I'll never forget, he was at a private um, school for pre-K and kindergarten. And we were very fortunate to have that option and I could take him. Just, it worked out. I, I, to this day, I do not know how financially it worked out, um, but it worked out somehow. Um, but as we were getting ready to leave the school and thinking about going to back to public school and doing an IEP and all of those things that to this day, I still dread, just dread it. IEPs, I was so thankful to finish high school and not have to do an IEP again. But the director of the private school that we were at, she said, Heather, I promise you that God loves Layton more than you can ever even imagine. <laughs> and he is always going to take care of him. And he's always going to have the right people around him to support him and make sure that he's taken care of. Because I just was dragging my feet leaving that school. I was like, oh my gosh, we just public school was so scary. You know, it was scary with our daughter, but then with him, it was even more scary, you know, like, what does this look like? Um, and I I take those words and carry them with me all the time because it's so true. And I share those with other families too, because God does, he takes care of our kids. And he did, he always, Layton always had the, the kindest teachers that we still, I mean, they follow him on Facebook <laughs> to this day and make, you know, comments, oh my gosh, you know, 
I love, I love Leighton's post. I love his countdowns, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just so cool to see the impact that he had on them as well as the impact that, you know, they had on him as well. But he was always surrounded by this little group of mother hens. <laughs> these always these sweet, kind little girls that just always looked out for him um, on the playground, in the classroom, you know, helped him do art projects. They just, they were special, special little girls that God just put in his place. And, you know, all the way from elementary school, all the way till they graduated high school. And um, there's still this group of girls that will always be special to us. If you've seen Layton's Facebook page, you know that he has <laughs> very special friends because he is, he is forever sharing some of those memories and those photos from his um, high school days. You mentioned he's graduated high school now. So he's graduated. How long ago did he graduate? And talk to us even about that transition from high school now. And is, is he working? Kind of tell us a little bit about um, what he's doing now. So he graduated high school in 2017. And part of the transition plan was he went to Francis Tuttle um, to a program there. Leighton loves cars, has always loved cars. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story, I think, as far as um, how we've used cars in his life, but that's always been his passion. So he did a small engines program at Francis Tuttle, his senior year of high school, and then his um, year after high school, which we provided transportation to. And he had a couple of other buddies that went as well. So we just kind of had a carpool thing worked out with some other parents and made it work. Again, it's one of those things I look back on, I'm like, how in the world did we do that? I have no idea, but we did, we made it work. So he, so he had that kind of little half day transition from high school, if you will, um, at Francis Tuttle. But in, I think it was his junior year of high school, we were introduced to a program called iJobs through Department of Rehab Services. And it was an opportunity for, you know, just a summer employment program. So we applied for it, he got accepted. And in the meantime, my husband had kind of been, you know, talking to a, a person that he know, knew from the, the gym and um, Starbucks and, you know, wherever they would meet, see each other for coffee. And he knew bits and pieces of Leighton's story and how much he loved cars. And my husband just planted a seed one day and said, you know what? He's at the age now he needs a job. If you ever have anything at your, you know, at your car dealership or whatever that, you know, you think he could fit into, he's like, let me know. Cause he needs a job. Like we, we have those expectations for him, just like we did as sister. You know, if, if you want to have your own money and you want to have a car or you want to, you know, do whatever you need to work for it. So um, that's always been an expectation of ours. It just so happened that it worked out with the iJobs program that summer, although we had kind of found the job for him and that was his iJobs and he worked in the service area at this car dealership and in the summer and absolutely loved it and wanted to keep working. And so we just said, you know, this program's over, but if there's something he could still do, you know, he would love to do that. And it took a little bit of time, but, and just communication and busy schedules and whatnot. But um, then he was hired in the detail shop. He's worked there ever since. And it's such, such a fun thing for him to see. I mean, you know, working in a detail shop may not be the dream job for every person out there, but it's Leighton Pike's dream job. I mean, he sees cars every day. His phone is full of pictures of <laughs> cars that have gone through, and he has a really good taste in cars. Um, that champagne taste on a beer budget is what he has, um, and really has no we, tr we try to teach him about money and, you know, all of that, but he really has no concept of like, Betty, you can't just go buy a $45,000 car <laughs> if you don't have money for it. So then, you know, he'll look at cars online, whatever, and he'll be like, how long, mom, how long would it take me to save up to buy this car? How many years? And so he'll hand me his phone and I'll show him on his calculator, you know, like if you saved $300 a month, you know, it would take you this long to save up money for that car. He goes, oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to teach some of those, you know, life skill, money skill kind of things. But I think he'll always, 
need help in that in that area just you know living independently that's a goal of his he's always said when he turns 32 he's moving I don't know why 32 and that kid when he says something's going to happen it usually happens because he's pretty pretty adamant and um, pretty hard-headed and pretty persistent so I was going to say pretty goal-oriented um, yes yes I think if I remember right he says he's going to move away to like a whole nother state right he says California. And I'm like, Betty, you don't want to live in California. That's too far. He's like, I can come home on the weekends because now he can fly by himself because he's taken a couple of independent trips to go see his pop in Iowa. Like, that's too far. So then he'll, you know, say, oh, well, maybe I'll just move to Dallas because he thinks Dallas is just, you know, they have so many more restaurants and so much more shopping. Like, he loves to go to Dallas. I'm like, a Dallas would be better. But, you know, there's some things you got to learn how to do before you can just move to Dallas. There's some things you got to learn how to do before you can move, you know, across the street. Um, we work on those things, but I love it. So just tell us about Layton. Tell us what his loves, his likes, his, his, just, just tell us and describe us your son as he is at 24 years old. He is honestly like such a blessing to our lives. Um, he rarely has a bad day, <laughs> rarely has a bad day. Um, he just kind of takes things in stride and just goes with the flow and um, just, you know, I mean, we have challenges with him. Of course, he's our kid, but for the most part, he's just a joy and a delight to be around. He loves people. He loves to go places. He hates being home. <laughs> he gets bored. He has two dogs that he, you know, just cuddles up with and loves and is constantly having me take pictures of them all cuddled up, you know, on the floor or whatever with them. And, you know, that's a whole nother ball game for me too. And I never thought I'd have an indoor dog, let alone two indoor dogs. So <laughs> the things we do for our kids, but honestly, they're like a couple of his, you know, best friends and he just, they bring joy to his life. So therefore, you know, we will tolerate the two indoor dogs for that reason. Um, he loves to hang out with his friends. He, you know, has his learner's permit right now for his driver's license, um, which he's had for a while now and started having some uh, seizures a couple of years ago, which we've gotten back under control. And he actually has a release to go ahead and pursue getting his driver's license. Um, he's been doing very well neurologically, you know, the last couple of years. So um, that's something that he really wants to do. That's a goal of his, has been a goal of his for a while. Um, I think his dad and I are more the ones dragging our feet on that, but he does practice driving with us. And I think one day that will happen for him. My hesitation is I know as soon as he gets his driver's license, he's gonna wanna buy a car and <laughs> think he can just go do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Right, a whole nother level of freedom there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, tell us about his relationship with his sister. They have the most beautiful sibling relationship. They, they say they're each other's best friends, and that truly is true. Um, they, she's just always been his big sister. And, you know, I know not every, every sibling relationship's that way, but she's never, she's never been resentful or felt like she got you know, the short end of the stick when it comes to Leighton. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with just people in our lives along the way too. Like, you know, we would take days where we would have someone, you know, my mom would come or my grandma would come or whatever. And we would have special days with Zoe. Um, when Sooner Shark Therapist would come into the house, they would leave little note cards for her. Like, this is your, you know, these are your jobs to work on with Leighton this week, or these are words we're working on, or these are some things we're working on. So she always felt like she was a part of the process, which I think helped with that relationship too. It wasn't like it was all centered on Leighton all the time. It was centered on our whole family. And that really is, I have to contribute that to a lot of the therapists and providers that he's had throughout the years, just modeling that for us, you know, and incorporating that into our daily lives. And they just, to this day, I mean, she, you know, they have brother-sister dates, um, you know, they just do fun things together. And he, 
I think still texts her like almost every morning and says, have a good day. Um, you know, he's just super thoughtful and, and sweet that way. And, and Zoe's the same way too. So it's fun to see, fun to see that. And now that she has a little, you know, a little boy, that relationship that he has with Wiley is really fun to watch too. Yeah, that's pretty special. And I know that everybody that Layton has ever come in contact with just adores him and he is so great. He is so much fun to spend time with. So um, thank you for sharing Layton with us today. Thank you for sharing your journey um, with meningitis and for hearing loss and all of those tidbit pieces that you were able to give us um, for, for our own life and our own transition, uh, whether it be to school, to um, high school, and even out of high school. So that really means a lot to us, and I, I really appreciate it. And be sure and thank Layton for allowing you to share his story. So thank you. Tamara, thank you so much for hosting me on this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Before we finish our time together, I just really wanted to thank just a few people specifically for the role that they've played, not only in, in Layton's life, but um, our entire family's um, life and journey after the meningitis. And one of those people being Wendy DeMoss, who is one of our very first Sooner Start providers, who truly laid out options for us as far as communication goes. And when we were curious and, and trying to make decisions, she really connected us to and um, guided us to the right places and the right people um, to make our, you know, our dreams for late in a reality. And then Tammy Elder, who has been a speech pathologist, one of his very very first speech pathologist um, and was his speech pathologist throughout his time at Hearts for Hearing. Um, and she's really just become a part of our family and she celebrated, you know, um, birthdays and celebrations and graduations and weddings and you name it with us. And we really treasure her as a professional and just a family friend who's been with us for a long, long time. And uh, Joanna Smith and Teresa Caraway also, I have to just call them out and thank them for their guidance and encouragement and support for many years, especially in those early years, you know, progress was slow and they were just um, there to, you know, encourage our family all along the way and provided a lot of guidance and wisdom as well. And then just the entire staff at Hearts for Hearing where Layton's received um, all of his audiology services throughout the years, as well as speech language services, they truly have made a difference in Layton's life and the outcomes that he's been able to celebrate as well as our entire family. So thanks for hosting. I hope that this will do someone's heart some good just listening to our family story and know that you're not alone in your journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.